0: Welcome, tennis fans. We've got a ripper of a show today, live from Down Under. So grab heaps of Tim Tams and a stubby, and let's veg out. It's episode 10 with Gabby Dabrowski, Quarantine Edition. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you.
1: I mean, they always have a big mouth. They always talk a lot. So it happened before, it's going to happen again.
0: Welcome to another episode of Fantastic Tennis, where the fans get to know their favorite pros. I'm your host, John Garica. Each week I'm joined by a major fan of the sport that, like most of us, love to talk, follow, play, and give their unsolicited opinions about the sport we all love. And to help balance that out, we're always joined by an expert of the game that has been there and knows exactly what it feels like to win those big matches. We get to pick their brain and ask all the questions we've always wanted to ask our favorite players. This is Fantastic Tennis. This week's fan guest is a friend of mine living in Chicago, Illinois, with as much heart as he has talent. As a fantastic collegiate tennis player at the University of Wisconsin, a junior year car accident derailed his dream of becoming a professional tennis player, so he'd pursue his other life passion the theater, where he'd go on to perform in Broadway tours and have a successful regional theater career. A burning desire ignited 10 years after playing his last competitive ITF match, and he sought to fulfill his dream of finally playing pro tennis. In 2018, he would proudly become the only active openly gay tennis player with an ATP ranking as he achieved a career high of 818 in the world and even won an ITF doubles title in Tunisia. His journey continues, and still to this day, I remember him thrashing me, love and one, in the quarterfinals of an indoor tournament in Chicago. It's the awesome Jeremy Sonkin. Jeremy, welcome to the show. What's up?
2: Uh, I am beyond impressed, and uh, my ego is feeling very, very fulfilled right now. So thank you for that.
0: Oh, of course. I haven't seen you in a while, my friend. I'm. I thank Zoom America for doing this tonight. Do you remember that match, by the way?
2: Uh, Yeah, Midtown court, something with the screen in the way, big lefty serve, you know, just the ripper, the forehand, and uh, the match was a lot closer than the scoreline that I can for sure say.
0: You definitely are drunk tonight. You barely broke a sweat. You were filing your nails on the changeovers. You were so bored during that match, but thank you. I'm glad you're here today. I really can't wait for people to hear about your journey, but let's bring out your doubles partner for today because you picked a good one.
2: I wish. That'd be the dream, let me tell you.
0: She's self-isolating in her Melbourne hotel room, and we promised her a, a very entertaining hour, so let's keep our promise. Our guest today made Canadian tennis history by becoming the first woman to win a Grand Slam title when she won the 2017 French Open Mixed Doubles title with partner Rohan Bopana. One year later, she would add to her trophy case by taking home her second Grand Slam at the 2018 Australian Open, which also helped her achieve her career-high best ranking of number seven in the world. Off the court, she stays just as active as she was awarded by her fellow players with the 2019 WTA Player Service Award for her support of initiatives by the WTA, as well as her role on the Player Council. As a native of Ottawa, Canada, she enters her 10th year on tour with having solidified herself as one of the premier doubles players in the world. With 11 career doubles titles, she's hoping her next title is just around the corner in Melbourne as she teams with doubles legend Bethany Maddox-Sands in her quest for Grand Slam number three. Our guest today is the fantastic Gabby Dabrowski. Gabby, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. What a great intro. Thanks a lot.
0: <laughs> hey, you guys deserve those intros. It's your life. That's it. I, you know, I didn't embellish. It's all facts, right? Unless you're a big fat liar, both of you. You're good? All right. It's all facts. <laughs> the time change is a bit funky because we're all in three different time zones right now. So For me, it's actually Friday. For you, it's Saturday, which is kind of weird. Did anything happen overnight that I need to know about? Because I love Saturdays and I don't I don't want to risk it.
1: Um, actually no drama, no news from whatever we want to call this quarantine-y place. Yeah.
0: <laughs> COVID's wreaking havoc all over the world still. Gabby, how are you feeling? How's the family and how are the friends back in Canada?
1: Luckily, my friends and family have been okay. Uh, very, very fortunate. My my parents are in Ottawa, Canada. And uh, the province of Ontario is like in in quite a strict lockdown right now. Um, Only essential businesses are open. So they're a little bit stir-crazy now that the winters come and my dad's shoveling snow and stuff like that. And he's like, the air is so dry. I hate it. But uh, they're safe. And that's number one. And friends the same. Friends from all over the world actually have been okay. So very lucky there.
0: Good. I'm glad to hear that. I know we're all struggling to find hope and balance, but there's a lot of optimism in the world right now. And just having the Australian open is giving a lot of tennis fans that semblance of normalcy. So you're doing your part, Gabby Dabrowski. Thank you. Thanks for being there.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm lucky to be here, even though um, the circumstances are a little bit tricky right now with isolation, but uh, I'm looking forward to getting out.
2: (laughs) Oh
0: yeah. We've been talking about COVID. I know you've both seen social media this past week. Tennis is in the spotlight with all the players having arrived in Melbourne. I can't wait to hear how your first week of quarantine's going but first before we do I like to start the show with my favorite way to start any service game 15 love and that's 15 love it's a super simple game i'm going to throw 15 questions at you Gabby and you just respond as quickly as you can with the very first thing that pops into your Mindowski. Okay. We ready? (laughs) All right. Question number one, Gabby, name the first professional match you remember watching live or on television.
1: Oh my God. Live. I think I watched Martina Hingis play at the Rogers cup. I think I was eight years old, uh, on TV, probably Andre Agassi.
0: Okay. Those are two good ones. You pick some legends. That's nice. All right. Number two, not sure if you even remember what day it is, but what's been the best meal you've had thus far in hotel quarantine?
1: Ooh. um, A few nights ago, I ordered Burger, and uh, it's, yeah, it's a really, really great burger place here in Melbourne. Um, I had a veggie burger, but like some veggie burgers are a little bit dry. Mm-mm, not this one. It was delicious. It was um, somehow like so flavorful and Yeah, I think I might order that again, actually.
0: (laughs) Oh, we saw on Instagram that Tennis Australia was sending players boxes of fruit. Did you get your box of fruit?
1: Oh, my God. I have so much fruit. (laughs) I don't even know what to do with it. I mean, I think I have like 11 bananas. (laughs) I
0: don't know what to do. I mean, you're just running around your room. Yeah. I mean, you're doing, you're cycling. So, yeah, that counts. You need your potassium. Oh, man. All right. Speaking of Instagram, we've seen your Instagram stories. So we know you're all over your in-room fitness while in lockdown. But what else has been keeping Gabby Dabrowski busy while in quarantine?
1: Reading, uh, catching up on some Netflix shows. Uh, school my college courses just started up again this week so definitely (laughs) keeping busy catching up with some friends that I also didn't have time to talk to as much before um, like when I was preparing to come here it was really really busy so yeah no it's it's been great actually somehow.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. Have you flipped your mattress over yet? Have you smacked balls against your mattress like we've seen now?
1: No, I honestly, I feel like it's not my property and I don't want to destroy it accidentally. You know, like I also am not a firm believer that that's going to make or break my Australian open swing, you know? So I think I'm just keeping it to the yoga mat And the bike shadow
0: swings (laughs) all right it's shadow swings for sure do we have but for both of you have we seen instagram have do we have a maybe uh an award for the best instagram content so far from players because there's been a lot of good ones i think i'm gonna go with putin seva for mine and the the mice in her room that's gonna be my number one so far but also pablo cuevas if you haven't checked out his instagram he's doing like a, a theme night every night and it's like really entertaining so he's getting a lot of instagram followers Anyone else I should be following right now?
1: Bethany and Justin.
2: I've been living for your doubles partner, Bethany. (laughs) Yeah, their little partner workouts. I'm living for it. I'm here for it. Loving the content.
0: Yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah, she's always entertaining, right? I love that one. Question number four, Gabby, who's your best friend on tour?
1: Oh, best friend on tour. I think maybe Luisa Stefani.
0: It's a good one. We're going to call her right now and see if she says you. I'm just going (laughs) to randomly...
1: (laughs) We tell a lot of friends, so I wouldn't be offended if she didn't say me.
0: <laughs> have you FaceTimed her yet? Have you guys entertained each other?
1: Yes, we FaceTimed. Um okay. we got a group together. We played some online games. So it's been it's been fun. <laughs>
0: See, all right, choose your bestie then. That's good. Number five, in your opinion, if you had the power, what is a rule you would change in tennis?
1: Ooh.
0: I'm going all over the place today, Gabby.
1: Tennis as a whole? Okay. Well, because I was just taught, okay, this is a little bit like intricate and not super exciting, but it's really important. There's a fine that is placed upon players who get into an ITF and and a WTA the same week. And it's quite a steep fine. I think for the first offense, if you get into the WTA and the ITF and you go play the WTA, you're fine like $500. And then if you do it again, you're fine like $1,000. And I find that it really discourages a lot of players transitioning from ITF to WTA to like do that. Um, so that would be one rule that I would get rid of right away because I feel like players should be encouraged to play the highest level of tournament that they can get into, um, and not be punished for it. So that would be, one. <laughs> I love
0: it makes total sense and it makes total sense with what you do too. So I, I can't wait to talk about that a little later. Number six, name someone you'd like to play doubles or mixed with, but haven't yet.
1: I would love to play mixed with Andy Murray. Oh, uh, I just love him as a player. And I really appreciate him as a person as well everything that I gather from what I hear about him and I like what he says in his interviews I think he's got a good head on his shoulders so I think I'd like to play mixed with him uh women's doubles I mean I'm really excited to play with Bethany because she's somebody that I've looked up to for a long time you know with her being a Grand Slam champion and, you know, consistently making year end championships. Like she's just always at the top of the doubles game. And so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to partnering up with her actually.
0: We're definitely excited about it. I love that you picked two though. I said either or, you're very greedy. I love that you're very nice, but like you picked two. So I, I, you want those titles and I appreciate that about you already. (laughs) Number seven, Gabby, who do you personally consider to be the greatest female doubles player of all time?
1: All time. Oh my God. Um, probably Martina Hingis. Sorry, literally my doorbell is going off. That might mean that testing is here.
0: Yeah, for sure. No, 100%. I just want to say real quick, we did stop um, because Gabby got a ring at her doorbell and it was a COVID test. So I just want everyone to know this is legit. Like this is happening right now. So she was explaining, Gabby, you just, they alternate back and forth every day. Is that how it works?
1: Yeah. So one day we do like a throat and nose swab, like regular PCR testing. And then the following day we do a saliva test with the swab under our tongue for 30 seconds. So we get tested every day, but it alternates which one they do.
0: Insane. We're trying to make this happen. This is, this is amazing. All right. Number eight, Gabby, something people listening probably don't know about you. Probably that you've had 14,000 COVID tests this year. Maybe that's
1: like. Yeah, I've probably had like, I don't know, 35 tests since last July, maybe more, maybe a few more. Uh, Something that someone doesn't know about me. Mm Hmm that I still have a relatively strong desire to play singles.
0: Oh, that's great because you have some amazing wins. We're going to talk a lot about your singles career because I'm a big fan of your singles career. So let's come back to that. Great foreshadowing for what we're going to talk about today. (laughs) Number nine, Gabby, what is your biggest pet peeve on the tennis court?
1: I hate when uh, players go to the bathroom when they don't need to go to the bathroom
0: name her gabby name the player right now no no i'm just kidding no yeah
1: Yeah, i'm not gonna name names but i just think that that's uh yeah i just i don't appreciate that like i'm the type of person i will literally not go to the bathroom so it doesn't seem like i'm trying to change the momentum Mm -hmm. of the match (laughs) so i just i think that's probably one of my biggest pet peeves when i see someone do that or they're notorious for doing that. And you're just like, oh, they're doing that again, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, because you go into the match knowing, okay, is it six or seven that she's gonna take at this time, but.
1: there Now there's a rule where you can only go one time, but then usually that person will take like longer than 25 seconds in between points consistently, you know, or they're called the trainer. Like they'll just do everything they can if they're not outright winning. So those are the kinds of things that I don't appreciate. If you're actually hurt, fine. If you actually have to go to the bathroom, fine. But most of the time, not most of the time, for some of the times, it's not really the case
0: disruption oh we see it we're fans jeremy and i know exactly what we're talking about and so do everyone listening everyone's nodding silently right now when they're like oh yes gabby knows yes gabby's very aware <laughs> all right number 10 a piece of advice for those listening that want to improve their doubles game give me some free advice now i need it because you know i already told you jeremy beat me in 11 one so
1: i'm trying to think of like the most important thing but something that i notice some players do is, and I make this mistake as well, is my movement when I'm at the net sometimes is not like on an angle forward. And so I'm moving too laterally rather than diagonally. And usually, sometimes I can get away with it, but like usually the quality of my volley is not as good or the placement. Or my positioning after I hit the ball is in the wrong spot. So I think that's one of the things that I see others and myself still make, you know, we make that error of moving laterally rather than diagonally to cut off the angle.
0: Is she exciting you from a coach's perspective right now, Jeremy? Like how she's explaining this? Are you just like, uh, you're so excited. I could see you like you're smiling. You're like, yes.
2: I'm literally geeking out. One of the, my favorite things about watching Gabby is I feel like she refuses to let two or three balls go past her without poaching anything time she's at the net so uh, just the movement she's always looking she's always active um the sense awareness is just one of my favorite things to watch on top of the technique and the hands and everything else that she does perfectly to a T. uh so it's really exciting to get a little bit of insider tea
0: yeah She's ferocious. We need to come up with a nickname for Gabby Dabrowski. By the end of the session. Yeah, maybe we'll see. I'm going to, we're going to ruminate a little bit here. <laughs> All right. Next question. Gabby, you get one loss, singles or doubles from your career to turn into a win instead. Which do you pick?
1: Uh, probably our doubles final at Wimbledon last year. Yeah. And not even like, I just wish I would have performed better because I played really, really well from the first round through the semis. Like I played well, my partner played well, and my partner still played quite well in the finals, but I felt that I was not anywhere near my best tennis. So if I could have one match back,
0: that would be the one. Oh man, we're definitely going to talk about it. I'm getting this sense of how nice you are too. I'm starting to smile. You're, there's just like this, like effervescence about you. I really appreciate it. Okay. All right. We'll keep going. I'm falling in love with Gabby Dabrowski during this hour. All right. <laughs> next question. <laughs> hey, side note uh, really quick. Effervescent. I think you have something there that you could roll with that. Effervescent. I, I'm into alliteration. So I need a G or a D. We, could, we need to roll off the tongue. I'm going to try really hard today. All right. Number 12, fill in the blank. Gabby Dabrowski knows more than most about
1: mindfulness.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. All right. Number 13, we're getting towards the end here. <laughs> when there was such thing as fans, name another player or celebrity that someone has accidentally mistaken you for.
1: Uh, there's an Austrian player, Tamira Pacek, I've been mistaken for a couple times can't really think of anyone else though
0: that counts there's one yeah she's a great player she was great on grass you know she actually started playing itfs this yeah, past year again back. she's she's making her comeback mm-hmm. just like jeremy sonkin did yeah let's do it i mean it's the year of the comeback Kleisters. i'm, I'm let's go Hingis too <laughs> come on <laughs> you want to play doubles with her let's get her back all right number 14 describe yourself off court in just one word
1: Curious.
0: I love, I love it. <laughs> okay, that that's a word I can this work with. Word. No, that's a good one. one but that now I'm. So all off. right, this is good. I'm I'm thinking about this. All right, last question before we move on. Question number fifteen. Looking forward to this new year. What is your number one goal for the twenty twenty one tennis season?
1: Number one goal is to qualify for the Olympics. And so fingers crossed that they happen, because <laughs> if not, I'm gonna be real sad.
0: <laughs> oh no, fingers crossed they're definitely, I mean, if it's happening, you're playing, that's just a given, all right? You're 10 in the world, what's happening?
1: I have to still be 10 in the world by the time the ranking cutoff happens. So like, uh, right after French open. So about first, second week of June,
0: we got this Gabby Dabrowski. Don't stress. All right. Let's not stress about this at all. All right. Well done. That was fun. It's kind of like tennis therapy. When we go through that, we ran the gamut today. So that was nice. (laughs) Um, all right, Gabby, before we jump into your amazing career, can we talk 2020 for just a moment? I, I hate going backwards because a lot happened last year. I know we all want to forget, But you had a great start to your season pre-COVID and a nice ending by making the finals of Ostrava. But 2020 tennis was very bizarre, right? Right, guys? That was like a very strange year for everybody. The whole year just had story after story after story. All in all, and COVID aside, Gabby, were you at least okay with your 2020 season?
1: Okay, yeah. You can say okay. I was not super happy about it. But even though I didn't play, I mean, I played decently, I'd say in, in the first two months. But towards the end, like Ostrava oh, was all right. The other tournaments were sort of average for me, or even some matches below average that I wasn't too pleased about. However, like COVID taught me things outside of tennis that I didn't know that I valued. So even though it was a really weird year for tennis, and tennis wasn't, you know, at my best, whatever, there were things outside of the court that I did learn. So I still consider the year to be a good year even good. though it was very very tough.
0: I love the optimism. <laughs> Were you able to have some downtime and relax on the off season? It was a longer off season this year.
1: Some yeah. I mean, I finished about mid November with the last tournament being Linz in Austria and so I came back to Florida around Thanksgiving, so I had some time with my friends, which was good, and then I started training again, so I didn't have a ton of downtime. I probably would like to have had a little bit more downtime, to be honest, but couldn't really, you know, go on vacation, just had to kind of stay put, so, you know, we'll try to make up for it later this year.
0: You you live in Florida. Were you happy with preparations? I know you wanted a little more off-season, but as far as the off-season training, getting to Australia, did you feel you were where you wanted to be at that moment?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Like I think it can never be exactly perfect, you know, because tennis, even training days, one day you'll feel amazing and the next day you'll feel terrible for no apparent reason. And uh so it's hard to say exactly, but I was feeling pretty good. I felt good. With my body, I felt good. With my mind, so I was, yeah, I was really excited to come here.
2: <laughs> Gabby, are you uh, are you pulling over two hundred on uh, one minute on, one minute off, fourteen sets versus climber?
1: <laughs> you know, I told I told our fitness trainer. Uh, well, we used to be our fitness trainer, Chris. I told him that like, I wanted to take things sort of in stride and I didn't want to overkill myself too soon because sometimes that can set me back. And so I was trying to manage things a little bit differently with the cardio side of our fitness. Um, so I didn't do that.
2: <laughs> <That's laughs>
1: um, i one, on, one minute off of Versa. We did some Versa, but a little bit shorter intervals or inter- intervals like on the curve, on the curve treadmill. So it was fine. I did not, have any sort of mental breakdowns in the gym <laughs> as I have had in
0: the past, <laughs> or
1: what you've seen, Jeremy?
0: <laughs> I love it. For those listening, I'm just sitting here nodding and smiling, like I know what they're talking about. So if you're listening at home and you have no idea what they're saying, just well, just keep going because it's just fun. They're having a moment. I love it. It's great. It's fitness something. It's so running. I'm been, assuming. I
1: you've never been on the Versa climber?
0: No, I haven't been on the Ver- What
1: about on the curved treadmill?
0: I've never been on a curve. No, no.
1: Okay, well, avoid both of those things if you.
0: Don't. I live in New York city. Our exercise is like maneuvering around 4 billion people. And we just kind of like push people. So that's like our kind of our arm workouts for the day. I'm we just kind of like move things and we like jump over trash. So it's like a whole obstacle course every day going to work. And honestly, I mean, I haven't been able to do it working from home during COVID. So you're right. I need a Versa climber. So thank you for my next gift. Don't. <laughs> I love it. You're playing doubles with Bethany. I'm so excited, but we're all Bethany, mad fans who's not a Bethany Maddox fans fan really exciting I don't think you you guys have not played together so this is kind of like that first date which I always get so nervous playing doubles with somebody for the first time and I love that you're doing it like on a big stage but are we excited I mean is it nerve-wracking playing with somebody for the first time in general now playing with Bethany it's probably like oof
1: I mean it definitely can be but I think the qualities of a good partner are when they can put you at ease if they do feel like you're overly nervous Um, And Bethany has such a such a big personality that it's more just like, okay, let's bring really good energy and be in the moment together. So I'm not too worried about our first time playing. I think it'd be really, really fun, actually.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's gonna be I mean, you're gonna be entertained. Win or loss. It's gonna be entertaining for you for sure. I'm assuming you're playing mixed. Who are you playing with?
1: I'm playing with Mate Pavic.
0: Well, you've done pretty well with him as well. You have yeah. some with him. So, that's a good one. I can't wait to get this going. This is going to be fun as soon as you get out at least, right? It's going. It's yeah. almost there. We're almost there. What what day is this for you?
1: Uh, is it day 9? Okay. Might be day 9. Day I think nine. I have six more days. I'm supposed to get out I think Friday or Saturday.
0: Get out. I love it. Sounds so it sounds so like tragic, but it's not because you're you're keeping busy. I love it and she has a smile on her face. So, Let me give you a quick overview. I know Gabby and Jeremy know what we're talking about, but here is the news from the past week. The 2021 tennis season has started off with a bang with the news. They were individuals on board three separate chartered flights heading to Australia that had tested positive for COVID despite extensive pre-flight testing. The entire tennis world then exploded. Tennis, Twitter blew up. Instagram erupted when they all found out 72 players were told they needed to self-isolate for 14 days without practice now, obviously, it's a very tough and tricky situation. It's an absolute privilege to be playing in Australia this year. And I know fans are grateful that the event is even happening as long as there are safety measures in place. And I know a lot of players share that same sentiment. Vika Azarenka, among many who have posted on social media applauding Tennis Australia. I think it's fantastic what they're doing. But it's been kind of a shit show a little bit, for sure. There's a lot of conflicting stories from players. We've had a player already announced they tested positive for COVID. Yulia Putinseva has mice in her room, and no one's helping her right now. There's a lot going on. So I'm glad you're here, Gabby, to set at least how you're doing straight. So the listeners have sent me a couple burning questions. First, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being a straight jacket, what's the mental state this past week?
1: Oh, I'm I'm actually good. I'd say it's like uh, eight and a half.
0: Okay. Ten is straight jacket. So that means you're crazy. It's fine. I'm okay if you're an eight. Oh, I'm no, sorry. It's-
1: One and a half. One and a half. <laughs> like,
2: Gabby, are you okay? Not three times if you're good. I'm sorry. <laughs> she's
0: blinking really fast right now. She's she's holding a sign that says, I am supposed to tell everyone I'm. No, no. I one's good. No, that's good. I'm glad you're no, good.
1: I'm, I'm great. Very low on the scale. Sorry. Far away from straight jacket. <laughs> what
0: what are you watching on Netflix? What are we Netflixing?
1: <sighs> Lucifer.
0: Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with Lucifer. That's a little fantasy. That's fun. You're you're in a hotel room for 14 days. You can pretend that there's a another universe. <laughs>
1: Um, it's just one of those really uh easy to watch shows. Like I can work out with the show in the background. I don't need to like I can pay attention, but if I don't pay attention, I'll still understand what's going on. And so I just it's fun.
0: Gabby, you're so nice, you're justifying your television to me. I'm t i am I could tell you three shows right now that you would roll your eyes and you'd say, Oh my gosh, we may hang up this call right now. <laughs> what are they? Um <laughs> <laughs> no, no I <I'll> <laughs> <you all. laughs> no, no, didn't think you'd ask <laughs> Oh man, it's not Lucifer. But I mean, actually, I don't watch that much television, but I watch Bravo, like religiously, like I'm Below a Bravo
2: deck. Guy. Let's go Hello deck. Yeah, Below
0: deck for sure. Thank you. Thank you, somebody out there. But honestly, nothing. I don't watch any other television. It's just like, you know, I just like Bravo. That's it. And, and the tennis channel. I'm addicted to the tennis channel. But anyway, that's funny. All right. So as far as your flight over, were you on board one of the flights that had one of the positive COVID cases?
1: Yes, I was on the LA flight.
0: Okay, so really sorry to hear that. Obviously, we're sending you great thoughts. It seems like you're healthy at this point. You're getting COVID tested on the regular. So I'm really glad to see that. We could actually see it in the moment today that Tennis Australia and and the government's really doing their part to to make sure that they contain this as best they can. From a high performance athlete perspective, obviously this is quite unorthodox to train for a Grand Slam this way. I'm assuming the biggest fear here is probably loss of conditioning and injury, correct? Correct. I imagine really when you get out, how inspired you're going to be to play tennis though. So that's a plus, right?
1: Yes, probably more motivated than I've ever been.
0: <laughs> I'm sure also as a member of the WTA Player Council that you've been very busy with communication, emails, phone calls. You picked a great time to run for office, Gabby. It's been a rough year, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, nobody could have predicted this. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> no, there's some talks about potentially moving the warm-up tournaments back a couple of days. I'm assuming you'd be in favor of this.
1: Yeah, I think it's fair to push them back by a few days. I'm not sure if the Australian Open itself can move back, though, because I know there are broadcast contracts that are already set of, you know, the, the schedule. So if they can push the first week back by a couple of days or at least give the players an opportunity to play in a, in a fair sort of way. I'm not exactly sure how they're going to do it yet, but I think we'll, we'll figure it out logistically pretty soon.
0: Yeah. It's going to be tough, but they've done a great job so far from the peripheral that they seem quite organized. And uh, it seems like they're listening to the players as best they can, at least. Yeah, for sure. No matter what happens, I hope we all get through the first half of the year. We just need to stay safe, stay as smart as we can. Right. Just to kind of get through. So Gosh, Jeremy, all the drama, right? This is there's a lot of drama going on.
2: A lot of tea drinking to do over here, John. <laughs> a lot of tea drinking.
0: <laughs> I know you're gonna be cheering especially hard for Gabby the next couple of weeks. How did you two meet each other?
2: At Saddlebrook Tennis Academy.
0: I know Saddlebrook. I'm from Tampa, Florida, born and raised. So I know it very well. I'm from North Tampa. So I'm I also went to Saddlebrook as a kid. So I'm I'm very well versed on where you are. What was it about her that really resonated with you as far as her game or her personality? Because she's really nice, right? We know that so far.
2: No, it's, you just hit it on the head. I, my first day at Saddlebrook, I was so nervous. I was this 30-something-year-old dude amongst a bunch of people that have been doing this for a very long time. I didn't know anybody. And Gabby was honestly not only one of my first practices there but by far one of the most kindest and open-minded and welcoming people that I could have imagined dreaming meeting on my first day and what was a very big question mark for me. I left essentially behind a career that I kind of felt like I was just running away from to pursue something else. And I, it was hard for me to keep in the front of my mind that I was trying to just live out a chapter of my life that I never got to live out. And um, so I was living in this headspace of a lot of just uh, confusion and self-doubt and to have somebody like Gabby and the accolades that she has. And she really had no reason to be as accommodating um, on so many in so many situations as she was. Was and as giving as she was. And I will, I I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. Honestly, from the bottom of my heart, you made a very scary time and moment for me way easier to manage and to get through. So I really appreciate you for that.
1: Oh, that's really nice. Thank you. (laughs) I'm glad you felt like that. Yeah.
0: Oh, I love hearing that. Jeremy, more people really should know your story. You're such an inspiration to many that continue to chase their dreams. You played tennis at the University of Wisconsin, and then you stopped playing competitively for a decade. What was it that gave you that push to really give tennis a second try and give your full dedication to the sport?
2: Yeah, you know... It was something that I'd always regretted. It was something that I would spend countless amount of hours just thinking about the time that I had given it. And I know that when I was younger and when I was a junior, I didn't appreciate it for what it was. I know that I didn't give my best. I was lucky to be talented and to be resilient in a lot of ways and to know how to win when I needed to win. Uh, But that only gets you so far, and I know that my tennis, it it didn't flourish as much as it could have just because I didn't have the maturity level to let it flourish, and that was something that just kind of festered in me for a long time, and luckily, I found a, a love and a passion for theater that I was like, you know what, I'm not going to make the same mistake that happened before. I'm not going to do that twice. I'm going to learn from that, and I'm going to use that to the best of my ability to move forward. And though I, I've worked a lot of really fulfilling and incredible jobs, the theatrical life, John, you know, it's a tough life of just rejection and no's and people identifying you that don't even know you, you're too black, you're, you're too this, you're too that. And it's, it was just, it got, it got to a point that it was just not the life for me to live anymore. And I had been coaching tennis. I had been submerged in that. I've been lucky to also coach some, some really wonderfully talented players. And when you're in that atmosphere, you can't help but be like, God, I really miss this. I really miss it. I miss competing. I miss training. I miss all of it. And that, at the end of the day, was what ended up pushing me back to having the, I guess, the courage to go out and do it again and had a couple of strong supporters in my corner that pushed me to do it. And yeah, that was kind of the, the final push.
0: We were definitely cheering you on. I knew you prior to that as well from years ago. And when I heard that that was your journey, so excited for you. You traveled everywhere. You went Obviously, we talked a little bit. You went to Tunisia. You went all over Africa. You played some crazy places, these ITFs. And I know, Gabby, we're going to talk about your early career, too, in a minute. You're very well versed on these, you know, these small tournaments in these cities that you wouldn't even think have uh, the structure to even have uh, an event because we all think, oh, it's Wimbledon. No, you're playing in these tiny, tiny places and you won an ITF doubles tournament. Was that not the cherry on top after all these years and dedication and
2: refocus was that, what was that moment like? It was surreal. If you would have asked anybody that knew me as a tennis player, they for sure, 10 out of 10 people would have said, there is no way in hell Jeremy Sank is winning a doubles tournament. <laughs> no, it's not happening. I mean, the dude can't volley. I mean, he looks like a hot mess up at the net. His volleys look like, like, no, it's not happening. I played with a uh, a guy named Peter from Russia who was an incredible player, huge serve, amazing volleys. He made my life very, very easy. I had to put some serves in the box and slap some returns and shank a few volleys into the court. And before you knew it, <laughs> somehow figured it out and made it happen. It was an incredible moment and just one of those uh, defining moments that I will never forget.
0: Congratulations to you. I'll tell you now to your face. Really, really proud of you. It was what a great story. There's a great article you wrote for Outsports.com, and I encourage everyone to read it. It's about your journey as a black gay man in the tennis world. It's very well written. Do you think we're getting closer to seeing more ATP players coming out? Men's tennis has had only Brian Vahaley as our pioneer, while the women have had Billie Jean and Martine and Amelie breaking down walls for many years. What's your thought process there?
2: You know, it's hard for me to say. It's hard for me to say because, you know, my locker room experience expands in the greater part of Zimbabwe so I can't speak to what's going on in uh, at the All England Club but I would like to believe with where we're progressing as a whole bit by bit each day I want to believe that we are in a place where it is ready to be supported and there's a network of people you know especially those at the very top that have come out openly supporting having a person that identifies as gay on the tour and I, I I want to believe that is that now's the time that it's that that we're ready to embrace that and embrace anybody that's ready to kind of take that leap but you know time will tell and hopefully that time is soon.
0: Well thanks for sharing your story. I'll tell everyone where they can find the article at the end of the show. Really inspiring. All right, you two, we've had some heavy moments already today. We've talked COVID. We've talked about a lot of stuff. So uh, let's lift these moods a little bit. Let's play a little game of corn Trivia. We're going to play a game I call I 40 Love You. It'll be Jeremy versus Gabby in a fan versus favorite tennis match trivia showdown, all about Gabby's career and life. Jeremy, I'm going to ask you two questions about Gabby's career. And then Gabby, I'm going to ask you two questions that test your memory about your own life. So... It's really up to you. If we happen to end up in a 2-2 tie, I'm going to give Jeremy the opportunity right now to be today's champ, but only if he can survive this first question. Otherwise, the tiebreakowski goes to Gabby Dabrowski. (laughs) This game is called True or Fault. This is an early test of your fandom to Team Gabby D, so good luck to you, Jeremy. Jeremy, I'm going to give you three statements about Gabby. If the statement is true, you just say true. If the statement is not correct, please firmly say Fault in your best Wimbledon lines person's voice. You'll need two out of three of these to win the tie break. Are we all okay. good? All right. Question number one, Gabby was finally able to share a court with Venus Williams during world team tennis this past season, as they teamed up in doubles for the orange County breakers. Is that true or fault? true? Gabby, is that true or fault?
1: Fault. <laughs> No,
0: I know there was a lot of context clues there. I'm really, now I feel bad now. Now I'm, I'm.
2: (laughs) You just feel horrible. I'm just,
0: (laughs) you did get to share a court with Venus Williams. Yes. You did play for the Orange County Breakers. You just didn't get to play doubles with her.
2: That's
1: right. I played against her. (laughs)
0: <laughs> How fun was that, though? I looked in your career. I don't think you've ever played a Williams sister. That was the first time you've been on court with Venus or Serena. Was that awe inspiring?
1: Yeah, you're right. Um, I hadn't had the chance. It was cool, actually. Um, she has quite the presence on the court. I I mean, of course, you assume that watching, you know, growing up, watching both of them be such superstars. But yeah, to, to be on the receiving end of it was uh, was really interesting, actually. Yeah, I hope I have another chance because like World Team Tennis things go by really quickly.
0: She's very cool. Very, very cool. She's an icon. All right. Question number two, guys. Well, really, this is for you, Jeremy. We're still in the game. True or false, Gabby has career singles wins against both sets of these sisters, Maria Naomi Osaka and Karolina and Kristina Pliskova. So pretty much Gabby has career victories against all four of those players I just said. True. Is that true, Gabby?
1: No. (laughs) False.
0: Come on! Gabby, it's true. What do you mean? I love that you don't know. You've beaten all those girls in singles.
1: I haven't beaten Naomi. In Quebec,
0: 2013. She was probably four- Stop. (laughs) Totally true. Are you totally serious? Yeah. <laughs> I love that you don't remember this. This is great. You beat Naomi Osaka. <laughs> oh, I don't. Let's go. And then you beat Carolina Pliskova at the Canadian Open in 2013 as well. So that was a good year for you. I
1: remember, I remember beating Carolina. I remember beating Christina. I remember being Mary. But I don't remember Naomi. Oh, my yeah. God. Wow. Well, good for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Put yourself on the back. That's a good one. Quebec City <laughs> Qualies. Oh, it was not- Qualies, Quebec City 2013. Hey, bravo. You beat Naomi Osaka. Hello, I did not. So, wow. bravo to you. <laughs> uh, oddly enough, you also beat both Kitchenook sisters. I don't know if you remember those matches either. So, yeah, I mean, you have a lot of weird, odd stats in singles that you beat a lot of sisters. And you've also beaten the Chans. You beat the Rodeo Novas as well. The the Roll sisters, if you remember Tia and Asher Roll, who I love as well. And yes. yeah, odd stat. I did love an odd tennis stat, but there you go. Well done. All right, here's your last one true or false. You met Gabby while training at Tennis Mecca Saddlebrook, which I mentioned is back in my hometown in North Tampa. So true or false and listen carefully. All of the following players have made Saddlebrook their training ground over the years: Jennifer Capriati, Andy Roddick, Martina Hingis, and Pete Sampras. Is that true or false?
2: Capriati, yes. Sampras, yes. Hingis, yes. I'm on the fence about Roddick. I really fault. Andy Roddick was not there.
0: I love that you played this with me, but it's true.
2: It's okay. That's just the tie break. You
0: know, sometimes you win a tie break. Sometimes you lose a tie break, but Gabby gets the tie break in this case. So congrats, Gabby. You made Saddlebrook your training base years ago, right? You've been in Florida for quite some time now. What's a typical training day for the 10th ranked doubles player in the world? I'm assuming... Not Bravo and cocktail making challenges. That's not part of your daily routine. There.
1: That's maybe on on a day off okay. uh, on the weekend. Um, but uh, well, usually it'll either be fitness first or tennis first or tennis first and the fitness after. Maybe.
0: How long are you playing four days and then you're doing you're in the gym? We're talking on your on a training day. So you get up at probably five in the morning. <laughs> you have your seven bananas, right? Because for some reason she loves twelve <laughs> bananas. I don't know. That's her diet. I guess everyone. But you know, you wake up and you're, are you doing four hours on court? Then gym time? What's the schedule?
1: No, I, I've sort of modified it. When I was younger, I would have a lot of hours on court, like a lot of hours on court, but now it's changed a little bit differently. I think also when you're younger, like coaches want to keep you on court because they feel that for part of it, you're not focused or whatever. So they're trying to keep you out there longer, but now, I mean, I can get focused within the first five seconds. And so even the first 20 minutes can be productive you know, some some days are short and sweet. Some days might be short, but super intense for that time. Uh, Some days might involve a lot of prehab or rehab stuff. And that can sometimes take an hour and a half. So honestly, it just it really depends. Some days we add in other things like yoga. Uh, We didn't do it this preseason because it was a little bit cold. But during COVID and before and other in other preseasons, um, we did like pool workouts. So we like to kind of mix it up and stuff. My favorite thing to do, though, is Friday, we play spike ball. <laughs> and that is the best part of it all.
0: <laughs> love spike ball. Are you a good spike ball player, Gabby Dabrowski?
1: I'm not bad. Yeah, I'd say I'm not bad.
0: <laughs> if those of you don't know spike ball, Google spike ball. It's literally my new favorite thing. And I love spike ball. All right, guys, so that was the tiebreak. Gabby has the tiebreak, but we're about to get into the game. Don't worry. Jeremy, you still got this. Let's go to question number one. This is for you, Jeremy. It's about Gabby. As a junior, Gabby showed promise in doubles as she made the 2010 Australian Open Junior Final. What a strange but cool moment she would have eight years later when she would go one step further by winning the 2018 Australian Open Mixed Doubles title by defeating, in the final, the same partner that helped her reach that 2010 junior final all those years back. Which current fourth-ranked doubles player in the world did Gabby team with to make the 2010 Australian Open junior final, as well as beat to win her first Aussie Open title?
2: Gosh, this is embarrassing because I should be able to just rattle this one off.
0: She's a really good doubles player because Gabby only plays with really good players.
2: (laughs) I'm thinking of the top four and I can't, I mean, it wasn't Shay. It wasn't Streets of the...
0: No, I'm very embarrassed for you right now. You should be.
2: This is horrible. Oh my God. I'm mortified.
0: Honestly, everyone, I know you can't see it, but Gabby's face, she is so mad right now. You should
2: be. You should be fuming.
0: (laughs) She's like a cartoon. (laughs) Like there's smoke coming from her ears at this moment. It's okay, Jeremy. I don't think you're going to get it. I'm not. It's fine. It's okay. Gabby, who was your partner at that 2010 Australian Open final?
1: Tamea Babos.
0: Oh my God, of course. What a crazy coincidence, right? Did you think about it during that match? Did you guys have a moment and say, oh my gosh, Tamea, like, do you remember this like eight years ago? No. <laughs> it, <felt> like, <laughs> it didn't happen.
1: It felt like a very long time ago, yeah. honestly. It felt like very far away. Yeah. <laughs>
0: We'll talk about winning that Australian Open in a bit, but can you take us back to Melbourne 2010? We, you're there right now with the Australian Open right around the corner. What memories stick out from that first trip to Melbourne?
1: Um, unfortunately, actually not a lot of good ones. I was quite sick. Uh, I was border- Yeah, when I got home, I was not diagnosed because wasn't, I wasn't to the point yet, but I was borderline anemic. And, uh, so I, what, I had no appetite. I would smell food and I would want to throw up. I was very dizzy. Like I remember the, one of the first mornings here, um, I was actually sharing the room with Jeannie and they had split the main draw into two, like over two days for the first round. So I, I think maybe she was playing like on the Sunday and then I was scheduled for the Monday And on that Sunday morning, I woke up, I started walking to the bathroom and I was so dizzy. I like fell into the wall and I was like, man, I'm glad I wasn't scheduled to play today. (laughs) And uh, so I don't have the greatest memories from that time. It was, it was like my last Grand Slam uh here so i was pretty disappointed with my singles performance because i was at one of my highest junior rankings and i was seated and stuff like that so it was pretty disappointing the doubles final was was nice though one good memory was well good and i don't know i'm not necessarily the biggest fan of some zoos But we went to the Melbourne Zoo. And that was really, really cool to like see a kangaroo for the first time. That was one sort of cool memory that I've, you know, I'd never seen a kangaroo before. And I always wanted to see one. So
0: well, I'm glad you're back making new memories though now this year. yes. We always talk about a tennis journey. I'd love to hear yours. Can you tell us a little bit about how you started playing tennis?
1: I started when I was seven years old, and nobody in my family played which is like a little bit rare because usually tennis players start out because either their parents play or their sibling played. I'm an only child and my parents didn't never play tennis. so. It was a summer when both my parents were working and my dad's best friend from France. She came with her son to look after me and her son was a few years older than me. His name was Christian. And so one day Christian and I, we just went to like a park down the street and we, I guess had some little rackets and we, we just started trying to hit the ball back and forth. And there was a man at the park who asked me where I took lessons and, uh, When I went home that day, I told my dad, and I was like, Daddy, there's a man at the park. uh, He has a beard, and (laughs) he asked me where I take lessons. And (laughs) my dad was like, what? (laughs) so anyway, he came the next day and he saw that Christian and I were like, actually okay with like our hand-eye coordination. Um, And the man came and the man was like, oh, you should put your daughter into lessons. And my dad was like, oh, I guess maybe we should. And then that's kind of what happened. I was put into lessons and the rest is history.
0: (laughs) Well, you were a fantastic junior, as we just talked about. Really, Already at 14 years old, you were playing ITFs and beating players 10 years older than you. You won the Orange Bowl in 2009, defeating. I'm sure you remember who you defeated in that final as well, because you're across the net from her quite often as well, Christina Mladenovic. Honestly, you know, I think back in, there, there has to be like, um, you know, a lot of these players since you were 13 and 14 years old. We just talked about Babos as well. We had Laura Sigmund on the show and she remembered playing Yulia Putenseba in juniors. And she said, you know what? She plays the exact same way how she played in juniors to how she plays now. And it's like equated back to like this big high school. You know, you all have known each other for so long and you see each other and you're like, yeah, I know you. Yeah, maybe maybe you lost touch, but you have that memory with Tamea. But as a top junior, do you remember at what point you said, OK, I'm going to do this for a living like this is it? Was it after maybe Australia that doubles final or where in your career and your junior career did you say, OK, I'm, I'm good enough to really give this a full swing?
1: I don't know if those are the exact words that were said, but I was a little bit younger. It's actually interesting. When I was growing up, a lot of the girls that I played tennis with went to college. And they, unfortunately, quite a few of them had bad college experiences. So when I was young, I was given the impression, oh, don't go to college. You know, the the coaches are going to make you play with injuries, or you're not going to like the academics, or something will be wrong. So don't even think of that. Just focus on going pro. And also at the time, there were a ton of girls that were breaking through at age 17, 18, 19. And so going to college gave the impression like you weren't going to be a pro tennis player. You were just going to focus on your academics. So that was like the the story for when I was maybe 13, 14 years old. But now looking back, actually, most of my friends that have gone to college have had incredible experiences. And, you know, they have lifelong friends, obviously, like the networking and the people that you meet through your school and through your team, they're things that you just can't really replicate anywhere else. And so had that message been given to me when I was younger, I don't know if I would have looked upon pro tennis the same way, but yeah, so I I was pretty young. We decided, okay, let's, let's try for pro. I mean, my first pro tournament was when I was 14 and, uh, But honestly, like I would say right now, you don't need to rush to be pro as maybe you did even 20 years ago. Like the game is changing. Um, A lot of female tennis players are having more success into their mid and late 20s. So don't feel that you have to, you know, sacrifice your, your school just to play tennis. You know, you can improve in school. You go to the right school and you're surrounded by the right people. That could be the thing that when you come out of it, maybe you're better on the pro tour because you've had that experience because you've grown and matured. So,
0: yeah. (laughs) So is that the advice that 28 year old Gabby is giving 14 year old Gabby in a time warp? Maybe. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it could be. Yeah. I think that's, that would be some pretty good advice. I think um, I was quite sheltered as a kid. So having maybe gone to college would have given me, A little bit more of an open mind and a sort of put yourself in other people's shoes (laughs) ability earlier than when I did learn it into my early 20s. So
0: we've made up for it for traveling the world now. So that's that's a good (laughs) thing. Yeah, I read an article that your father was your first coach. Uh, I think I love that story. The start of a tennis career is always the toughest financially, as I know, and Jeremy knows, you weren't getting exactly what you needed from your federation. So your family had to do a lot on their own terms. It's amazing to read how supportive really your parents were.
1: Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I'm very, very fortunate to have the parents that I do. My dad was kind of my second coach. My first tennis coach back in Ottawa was Tony Milo. And so I did work with him until I was about 13, 14, and then kind of off and on for the next few years after that. And we still keep in touch sometimes. And my dad took over, I guess, not took over, but it would be like, I would have lessons with Tony, I would do kids clinics, and I would go on the court with my dad. And then my dad obviously always be the one going to tournaments and doing all the video and, and all this stuff. So, my dad is still part of the coaching, I guess, team or whatever you want to call it right now. Like, I have a really good relationship with my parents. Um, I talk to them all the time and I ask for their feedback all the time. So yeah, I, I do feel very fortunate to have had parents who gave up so much for me to be able to follow my dreams. It's a very hard decision to to do that as a parent because you do get in very sort of scary financial situations that you're not always certain that you're gonna get out of. And, uh, and not every parent wants to do that, which is understandable, but I had parents that went above and beyond. And for that, I went like forever thankful
0: yeah the dream continues for you Gabby Dabrowski so that's that's really special I love that story so much so much inspiration today I'm feeling really good today (laughs) all right guys let's move on to question number two and your first Gabby you may have won your grand slams and doubles but you've demonstrated that you definitely know your way around the singles court we've talked about a few of your singles victories earlier against Karolina Pliskova and a surprise win against Naomi Osaka today (laughs) So this question is all about your singles career, but mainly your memory. So good luck to you. And I am doubting you at this point. So I, I think you're going to be on the board, Jeremy. I think this is going to be a tough one. All right. You won your very first WTA doubles title at the City Open in D.C. back in 2014. One of my very favorite tournaments, by the way. I love going there. You partnered there with Shuko Oyama to win that title. This is really a test of your memory, Gabby DeBrowski. You've actually beaten her in singles as well. If you remember, can you tell me the city where you beat Shuko Oyama?
1: <laughs> I don't have like the best best memory. Um...
0: If you don't remember beating Naomi Osaka, I'm we shocked. If you remember, where no no disrespect to Shuko Oyama, who is a fantastic doubles player.
1: Was it wasn't an ITF?
0: It was ITF. Yes.
1: It was in California.
0: You did play her in California. But
1: I think I lost to her in California.
0: You did lose to her in California. Oh, my God. Oh my God. Um, you remember the loss, but not the win? This is... Well... It sounds about right. <laughs> I'm learning so much about you today, Gabby Dabrowski. How, I mean, how are we not falling in love with guys? I mean, this is another... All right. Are we give up? We're still thinking? You got this. It's
1: not... <laughs> It's not, it's not helping me. Um, I now want to say like Quebec City again, but... It's- I mean,
0: you play phenomenal in Quebec City. I would have loved it to be Quebec City. I, I wish every answer I would have had for you is Quebec City now. The next time we do a part two to this. You're
1: going to tell me what the answer is and I'm going to be like, oh, yeah.
0: So- yeah. All right, let's move on. Know. It's it's good old Granby, Canada.
1: Oh. <laughs> I'm
0: sorry. Oh man. All right.
1: I had a strange feeling it was Canada after you said it wasn't California because I lost to her there. And I was like, maybe it was an ITF in Canada. And I was thinking which ITFs I played. And then I thought maybe it was the Toronto ITF, but okay. Granby.
0: Good old Granby. You've had some good wins in your career, Gabby. Really great wins. Actually, we can add to the ones I've already mentioned, we can add Julia Gerges to that, Daniela Hentikova. You also beat Camilla Giorgi. Am I, am, are these like familiar names? We, we're good here, right? We know yes, that. Okay, yes, cool. Okay, All yes. right. <laughs> Is there a singles match that you can think back and say, wow, that was a proud moment for me? I know you're playing doubles exclusively now. Well, not exclusively. You still play, you played seven singles matches in 2020. Yes. Was there like a a win that you think back or like not a win or a lot? It could be anything. You're just on the court and you say, you know what? That is, I'm really proud of myself. What was it?
1: Yes. Okay. So it was 2019 Birmingham and I was an alternate to get into the singles qualifying draw. And I was told that I was third on the list that day. So that's kind of like on the day of matches to be third alternate to get in is like impossible turns out the supervisor made an error and i was actually first to get in that day so i had practiced i'd left i'd gone back to the hotel i was sitting in my room i was on skype with my mom and i get this whatsapp notification that says like gabby where are you um from player relations person at the tournament and i was and then so then they call me and then i'm on the phone and it's neil robinson our player relations person really nice guy and Neil was like um are you, are you in your room yes but you've gotten into the draw, like you should be here. And I'm like, what do you mean I got into the draw? I was third alternate. Like there's no chance three people. He was like, no, you were first alternate. And I was like, oh my God. So I'm literally like have him on speaker. I'm trying to like get my clothes to put in my bag. I've dropped the phone like three times (laughs) anyway. So I make it and yeah. So I call my coach and I was like, we got to go to the tennis site right now. Like get, get ready. (laughs) He's like, okay. And, um, so we get there and, uh, it just rained actually. Actually. So I had about 20 minutes because they'd cover the courts, then they were uncovering the courts. So I got a little bit of like a, a little buffer of time to just warm up and like breathe. My coach was like, you need to breathe, like you need to calm down. <laughs> so I get on court and I play Anastasia Potapova. And I played really, really well and I won. And so I'm really proud of that day. I kind of like grass though. I, I feel like it's um a pretty unique sort of tennis experience and I won and I was like wow this is a great day <laughs> like I've gotten into koalis. I had no idea I even did a whole training before this like woo <laughs> so I think that's one of those matches where I was like this is it's just a great like I think it was a Saturday it was like a great Saturday of tennis
0: <laughs> I love when you pop into a singles draw I love it it's one of I. you see it and it's just like oh Gabby is playing singles I love it you turned pro in 2011, and in that same year, you made your first ITF singles final. For those that follow tennis, they know that only a handful of players can really successfully transition from small 25K challenger events to winning grand slams like you have. And you're one of those people. I'm sure the decision was tough for you to focus on doubles full time. You've already said that you're looking to uh, recommit yourself possibly. But um, what was the thought process? When did you focus on, on the doubles?
1: Uh, Early 20s, short story is running out of money, uh, was about 200 in the world in singles, not really able to get better, couldn't afford a coach uh, to help me get better. And when you're 200 in the world, like I, I'm a firm believer that you need a coach to be with you consistency, maybe not week in week out, but like pretty full time all year to guide you and help you where you want to go and be, you know, your eyes for your blind spots. And because at that point, you know, your game is pretty solidly built already, but you need that extra help to see things that you don't see to support you when you're down. And that costs a lot of money. And so for me, I couldn't afford that. But at the same time, my singles was sort of floating, my doubles results were good. And so I thought maybe my ticket to playing the bigger tournaments, the Grand Slams, maybe even someday the Olympics, maybe doubles was the way to do that. And maybe doubles was the way to actually make a living out of tennis. And luckily I was right. And it was. And so I just started focusing on building my doubles ranking, trying to get into, you know, smaller WTAs where the points are and uh, lucky enough to play with some really great partners that helped me along the way. And so then the ranking, you know, it keeps going up. At the same time, my singles ranking was sl- because when you do well in doubles, there's a crossover between tournaments. So you make semis or finals of doubles, you miss qualifying of singles for you know the next week. So my singles ranking just dropped and dropped. And um, but I was okay making that sacrifice at the time because I was trying to go for bigger things. And uh, yeah, so right now being in a more sort of established position, I feel like I have still a little bit more to give to singles um, now that I could afford a coach to be with me more and stuff like that. So that I hope is something that I can pursue maybe later in the year or next year or something because kind of like what Jeremy, you're referring to just like not having any regrets and I don't want to leave tennis with any regrets. And so I don't want in 10 years time to think, oh, I wish I had pursued singles a little bit more. At the same time, I feel like it's also a little bit of my ego in there. It wants that respect as a tennis player, because a lot of the times doubles is put on the back burner. You know, we're put on the back courts. We don't always get the respect from the tours, from other players, from the media, from broadcast. And so as much as I want doubles to have that respect, and that's something I'm working towards with certain initiatives through WTA and the tournaments and, you know, getting feedback on how to grow the doubles game for me personally, right now, the way to do it is to be a better singles player. Yeah. So it's it's just one of those things that I'm kind of navigating.
0: <laughs> no, it's tough. You're absolutely right. I love that you explained it perfectly. Jeremy, I know you've traveled a lot to these ITF events all over the world too, though. The good thing about Gabby playing just doubles, it elongates her career for a long time, right? I mean, she can play as long as, as you've been playing. So that's that's always <laughs> a good thing. I mentioned the city open back in 2014 as well. That first tournament you won, Gabby. What was that first title moment like for you? That must've been so amazing after all the hard work you'd put in that first big title.
1: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. To be honest, playing with Shuko is really, really cool. She is... um She's great. She's like such a joy. She's super kind. She's she's just so great as a doubles player because she's so dedicated to it. Every single practice, there was a purpose. Every shot she hits, there's a purpose. And so having that be my first title with her, it was great. Like there's almost nobody on tour that I wish more success for than Shuko Aoyama.
0: <laughs> wow. All right. Singing the praises to Shuko today. Awesome. <laughs> we mentioned Granby earlier. I've never been to Granby but I love Canada. I love your country very much. It gave us Schitt's Creek. It gave us maple syrup. I love all those things. So (laughs) I'm a big fan. What's not to love about Canada, but Canadian tennis is at the absolute strongest it's ever been in its history between Bianca and Leila Fernandez and you strongest contingent in the men's game. We've seen ever with Felix and Vasic and Shapovalov and Milos We talked about Tokyo a little bit. If it's happening, this is going to be great for Canada. I I truly believe. You were able to play the Olympics in 2016 in Rio. You played doubles with Jeannie Bouchard. You lost a very close second round match to the Czech team. How excited are you at another shot? Based on what you said earlier, I can only guess. Are we dreaming of two medals?
1: Oh man, that would be that would just be beyond like anything I could even dream. It feels like, but if it is a possibility, then I should start dreaming of it because I think um, there's a lot of power and visualization. So if I'm qualifying, then I better start acting like that's the place that I want to be because otherwise it probably won't happen. Uh, it takes a lot of effort just beyond the practice court to beat the best teams in the world. And it would be such a privilege to to play with another Canadian in women's or hopefully in mixed as well. So yeah, I, I really hope that it works out.
0: It's the secret, right? Let's visualize. I Good luck to you. You know, we'd love to see you in both those draws. So my favorite highlight of every four years is looking at that mixed draw at the Olympics when you see all those names, right? It's always like crazy. I love those yeah. names. And you get to play with a gold medalist. So there you go. A little osmosis. Bethany's going to rub off on you. So I love it. That's really fun. <laughs> yes. All right, guys. Let's uh, let's stick with you Gabby. This is going to be your third question. We're going to talk doubles now. This is your last question. So here it is. It's a thinker, but your memory is getting a little better. We'll say all right. We're optimistic. All right. Well, here we go. In your career, not including ITF's, you've appeared in 23 doubles finals. We're talking doubles and mixed. And you've won 11 titles. Which player have you played the most in those 23 finals? Oh, I love your thinking face. You've got a good thinking face.
1: I feel like I played like Barbara and Sue a bunch. Yeah, pick one of them. (laughs) Barbara.
0: It's Barbara. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> well I just
1: feel like I played her so much because it was like Miami and Wimbledon, Madrid. Yeah.
0: You played her a lot. You've played with some amazing doubles partners over the years. How do you typically find your partners? Is there one quality that's really more important to you? Obviously, Shuko Oyama, super nice. You know, It's hard to live up to that, but um, what's most important for you in a partnership?
1: I think the on-court chemistry, uh, and that's something that, you know, it doesn't always necessarily stay the same. It can change. Sometimes maybe it's not amazing in the beginning, but then it gets stronger or it's really good in the beginning, but then over time might, it might fade. It's hard to know. But I think when you're both people, both partners are clicking and there's it's just like everything is meshing. And so it's like, how do you find that? And I think if you have good vibes with each other then it's easier to have that work out sometimes you can find that though in a completely new partner and then sometimes you can find that with somebody you know very well so like when i played with my friend luisa it was really easy to find that because we've been friends for a little while now but then i remember the first time i played with Yifan, julie Uh, in Miami in 2017, I think it was, you know, we didn't know each other at all, but we got on really well on the court. And so it's hard to know exactly what to look for, because I don't think there is a perfect formula. You know, you can play with somebody who has the exact same game style as you and it can work or somebody who has a polar opposite game style.
0: Yeah. So that's the question. Does that supersede though? I mean, I would think you're one of the best doubles players in the world. I mean, are you typically the strategist or the executor? Or is that something that's important to you that you find somebody who, who's a good counterpoint to you? Are you trying to find somebody? I mean, Jeremy loves your backhand down the line. He's already told me 10 times tonight. I mean, he's, he's obsessed with it. I mean, are you looking for someone shot-wise that has you know, the better serve so you can be a little more ferocious at net? Or really, is it strictly with, you know I want to feel comfortable on the court and that's where I'm going to play my best if I have somebody who's not a total douchebag that's next to me?
1: I think it's more about feeling comfortable and the rest, I feel like I'm able to adapt. Um, I've played with people who have big serves, um, especially like in mixed doubles. And that's obviously an amazing asset. makes my job easy at the net, but you know, I don't mind playing with somebody who has even a slower serve because sometimes that means I can mess up the returner with my positioning because I have more time to fake. I have more time to poach. So it's like I can work with what somebody has as long as I feel like I'm allowed to sort of do that. And they're giving me the space to do that. But I think when somebody, if someone feels too tense or someone's micromanaging them, then they don't feel at ease to try anything. And then they become too stationary and, or their muscles get tight. And I know for me, that feeling, it doesn't work. So
0: yeah, I love it. Jeremy, anything to add there? I know you've played a lot of doubles in your career as well. Is that typically the same on the men's tour?
2: I think one of the things that Gabby that really resonated with me was just, you know, comfortability with somebody um, and somebody that you have a good rapport with and somebody that can, that knows how to pick you up and support you when you need it. One of my biggest fears was always, you know, screwing up at the net or going out, going on the wrong ball and making an error on the, whatever it is. And so just somebody that can, that's on your side and pushing you to keep looking and keep going and just to settle you in. That's always what's resonated with me the most. I'm
0: ultra competitive and I, you know, I'm pretty focused on the court too. So you never want to give off the vibe that, you know, you may be super focused. We had this great conversation with Laura Siegmund who just won the US Open doubles. You know, she looks for in her partner, she was explaining that, you know, a little counterpoint to how she is when it comes to emotions. And I find that so fascinating, just as you said, you know, you need to feel comfortable on the court. She needs to feel a little more secure, knowing that somebody is the yin to her yang. And I, and I love both, both angles. That's what's so fascinating about doubles, right? It's a personality game. It's really just you have two people on court that are really just trying to find the best in each other. And that's the exciting thing about doubles because when you're both playing great, wow, you know, how fun. If one of you is playing great, we've all had those days where you're just like, they suck today. But you know what? It's going to happen to you too, right? Like we've all had those days. (laughs) so true. And there's plenty of times where I've been like, wow, I'm so embarrassed with my tail between my legs where I just played, you know, I double faulted three times in a service game. You know, it's like... That's the fun part about the world, right? That's tennis. That's why we keep doing it every day. It's this whole mind game that we just, it's crazy. There have been some that have suggested scaling back, uh, having maybe less doubles at tournaments, which you've spoken out against. Recreational players love doubles. I love doubles. I I personally love it. What do you think is the next evolution to the sport of doubles to make it more popular? You said you're working on some initiatives right now with the WTA.
1: A lot of the things are very fan-based. So obviously with COVID, very tricky to get a lot of it done. But if we're able to have more fans at tournaments and it's safe to interact with them, I was hoping to be able to have more clinics together. I was hoping to be able to have media days, you know, so like playing doubles with the media at the tournaments, uh, more sponsor suite visits, you know, for people to, to get to know us more personally. Being able to do like tips and tricks videos so that maybe something like the tennis channel can show a quick minute or two clip or even shorter about, oh, in this positioning on the doubles court, try this. You know, just these things so so that doubles becomes more of a regular thing that people see. Of course, I want, you know, eventually I would love doubles players to be able to earn more prize money. And I would love doubles to be able to be played on bigger courts at tournaments. But there's an element where it's like, first, let me prove that it has value and let me show you that it has value and that people that this is what people want to see and that people are asking for. And those things will fall into place by themselves because at the end of the day, tournaments want to make money. So they do everything to make money. And so I think the best way to do that is to increase doubles popularity. And so I'm trying to figure out ways to be able to do that.
0: Marketing is a key. That's, you know, I think that's something that's, we're helping today by showing everyone how awesome Gabby Dabrowski is. They're going to come out and be cheering you on. It's going to be, you're going to win this title and there we go. (laughs) You know, we've solved your problem. Done. (laughs) Your first big title came by winning the Miami Open in 2017. You had already won, I think, three international tournaments at that time. You, this was your fourth title. Shortly after Miami, you'd go on to win your first Grand Slam of the French. So obviously, this was a good year for you. You won that Miami title with longtime partner, Shi Fan, and you beat six former number one ranked players in that draw crazy draw yeah the best players in the world you ended up beating Barbara and Mirza in the final I hope you bought yourself something nice after those two weeks
1: uh, probably at that point most of the money wouldn't gone straight to like savings <laughs> um, that was sort of a turning point that was a great paycheck for that week. I mean, it was just like a really good entry point into being able to be respected as a doubles player as well. It was sort of like, a, OK, now I'm now I'm in it in a way.
0: But well, what, what is interesting, I wonder, because you just made a, an interesting point there. Do you feel like you're one of the best doubles players in the world? You're quite humble. Is that something you can say firmly? You know, after Miami, you said, you know, I was kind of climbing and I felt like I was there. Do you feel like you're one of the top doubles players in the WTA?
1: I feel like I'm one of the top doubles players who play predominantly doubles because there's still a few girls in front of me who play, you know, obviously singles is still their number one and they play amazing doubles as well. So for me to say that I feel like I'm really the best or one of the best, it would, it would need to show in the results and in the ranking. Um, And I would need to get more wins over those teams to, to really be able to say that confidently.
0: Well, that big title, Miami, would be the first of many and a great Grand Slam run that you would have becoming the first Canadian woman to win a Grand Slam. So let's go on to the last question. Jeremy, this one's for you. Let's talk about Grand Slams. We all know you met Gabby at Saddlebrook in 2018. Well, what a coincidence that she ended up making two Grand Slam finals that year, which included her second Grand Slam title at the Australian Open. So your question is about the year 2018. Gabby would go on to play doubles for most of the year with Shi Yu Fan, and you'd end up qualifying for your second straight WTA championship. But she wasn't the only partner that she would play with. Which of the following players did Gabby not play a doubles match with in 2018? I'm going to give you multiple choice.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> did she not play a doubles match with Leticia Chan, B, Bianca Andreescu, C, Rebecca Marino, or D. Yelena Ostapenko.
2: Pretty sure she played. You played with Bianca Gab. Are you
0: looking for help? Are you? <laughs> I, love, I, I love that you're not cheating though. Too. She...
2: Yeah, I need help.
0: <laughs> what do we think?
2: Want to get it right? Throw me a lifeline. I'm going with C though.
0: Do you know the answer, Gabby? Do you know which one you didn't play doubles with? I mean, you would.
1: I think I didn't play doubles with Rebecca Marino because I played with her in 2019 at Fed Cup.
0: Yes, correct.
1: Yeah. I played with Jessica Lanko, uh I played with Letitia. In
0: Birmingham. Your favorite place. Yeah. Yeah. You played with her in Birmingham, but you lost to her sister. uh, Speaking of sister matchups, is that always weird when you're like on the court and you're playing? I mean, they played each other so much now, I think at this point.
1: They play together now. But I remember that day, her sister was very motivated to beat her.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yes, it was Rebecca Marino. So congratulations. You're on the board. Speaking of training hard and coming back, Rebecca Marino, you know, just like you, Jeremy, that's a great story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing.
0: Let's talk grand slams. It's what everyone wants. You have two, hopefully a lot more. Can we talk about that first slam title at the French? How awesome did that feel? Do you remember that match point
1: <laughs> the, the, that she double faulted? <laughs> yeah, yeah
0: that,
1: that sucks. Like that's so hard to, to lose a match like that. And it's not really the way you want to win a match either to be fair. Our super tiebreaker was so close and it had some really strange drama with Robert had like something in his eye and then so we had to take a break and then I think he had to get eye drops or something like mid, mid-match mid tiebreaker. And then we came back. I think I was about to serve and like somebody in the stands there, the sun was reflecting off their badge. So he was like, take off your badge. And we were just like, oh my God, like can't, we just can't just play tennis. Like there's so, so much going on. <laughs> Um, so at the end of the match, even though like double fault, it was a relief and it was really fun to win because my parents and some of my friends were there. So it was like such a nice moment to share with everyone.
0: That's awesome. What a great, yeah, absolute Great moment in Australia. You had that very familiar opponent we talked about with Babos and her partner, but you'd also won the French with Rohan as well. So again, very strange kind of feeling. I know he had a special place in your heart as you made history at the French open by becoming the first Canadian female to win a grand slam. You saved the match point. You saved that championship point as well. That was a big comeback. You lost the first set. You came back and you won. Was it different winning the second slam from the first slam?
1: Um, I thought overall I played a bit better in that final in Australian Open. So I was a little bit more pleased, I think, with my performance overall. And I played extremely well. In the matches leading up to the finals, like where I even surprised myself with my level in the mixed matches. So I was a little bit more satisfied, I would say with that win. And like, I mean, Mate down match point serves an ace. I mean, he was like on the highest levels of his tennis too. You know, the night before he'd won the men's doubles final. And then I was like, did you sleep? And he was like, nah. And so, you know, he was like on a different level of tennis at that time. So I was pretty fortunate to be his partner, I think, because I don't know if I've ever seen him or anybody play as well as he did in that tournament. Like it was, it was out of this world. Yeah.
0: He's a great doubles player. You picked another good partner. That's a good one. You made your first Wimbledon final in 2000. 19 huge congrats to you you. what a feeling right to be out there on that that final day that must have been the coolest feeling we talked a little bit about how you felt like you played now it's three out of four grand slams you made the final of we just need to check the us open off that list when it comes to winning your first grand slam in the women's doubles which grand slam do you feel like you have the best shot at obviously we'll say australia but if it wasn't australia after this week where do you feel like you can really win your first big title
1: I might say Wimbledon just because now I've had the experience, like I've gone deeper in the, in the doubles draw there the year before made the semifinals. So having semifinals and then having finals, I uh, think, I think it'll be easier if I'm in that position again, to be able to handle the moment. I mean, I would hope so. I don't know if Wimbledon will change the speed of their courts, but I feel like the the speed is slowing down a little bit. And sometimes I actually find some of the courts at us open to be a little quicker, and maybe that's why i struggle sometimes there but yeah i i think there's also a different sort of aura and prestige around wimbledon and i only say that because normally i would say any grand slam is like the grand slam and australian open is my favorite tournament but when i was driving i actually went to england um, after the french open this year to uh, visit my friends and then to prepare for Ostrava. and we drove past wimbledon a couple times And like, I got emotional about it. And that's not something I expected from myself, because I've always felt like I can kind of detach from that. But yeah, so that's why I think there's just something about Wimbledon and the potential, like the possibility of, you know, going deep in the draw and maybe someday winning a Grand Slam there. That's just like that little bit extra special.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, knowing you now, I have a feeling that you're going to do everything you can to get that title. So I'll be cheering you on for sure. You'll have that trophy in hand one day. I have a feeling. Well. Guys, we ended up in a 1-1 tie during that game. That tie break came in handy for you, Gabby. <laughs> Gabby, today you are the winner of fan versus favorite. Bragging rights to the tennis pros this week. <laughs> well done. All right, guys. We're going to wrap up today with a fan mail question for Gabby from one of our listeners. You've got mail. And then we'll close out with a question from Jeremy. So question number one for you, Gabby. Pavel from Warsaw asks... Gabby, good luck on your year as a member of the WTA Players Council. It's probably been a nightmare to fully communicate to players in a crazy year when there have been so many questions you can't answer. What is the council working on now to improve the WTA Tour in the 2021 season?
1: Good question. And one that I'm not, haven't really been asked that question before. So we have increased communication with the players like tenfold, like through COVID we had player calls, I think almost every single week. And that's not how WTA communicated before. So I think that will continue. And I think it will continue to improve upon it because this is like our tour. This is for tennis players and for tournaments and so I think communication at the end of the day makes everybody feel like they're being heard and that their voices, you know, it's, it's not just like, oh, tell me something, but then eh, maybe somebody won't follow up. Maybe but Like we're all on council, very dedicated to representing our groups. So I think we do a pretty good job of that. In terms of further improvements, I think we're trying to... Build better relationships with the tournaments, like have some more maybe one on one time or calls directly with the tournaments rather than through the WTA. And that way we can try to get some initiatives, you know, like moving forward. Things, you know, they operate kind of like a government, it takes a long time for things to happen, even if they're really good ideas, sometimes it can take a year or two for it to be put into place. So I would love for some things to be kind of fast tracked, because it's maybe something that's not going to hurt the tournaments very much, but that will help the players a lot. So we're trying to work on all these things simultaneously. It's, uh, it's not easy, though. And it it is, it's like quite, we have to, we we put quite a lot of effort into it, to be honest. Um, (laughs) During COVID, it felt like a full time job. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, thanks for that. Some good insight. Jeremy, we'll finish up the interview with you.
2: All right, Gabby. So you, uh, John, you actually hit on both of these points to great detail. So I won't draw it out too much. But forgive me, this is kind of a twofer. Uh, One, I was going to ask you about prospects for sure for singles uh, going into this year. And one of the things I was most curious about is where. Look, you have world-class ground strokes, especially the backhand. World-class, world-class hands. You you paint this your spots on the serve, big serve. You have so many tools in your toolkit. What do you think the combination is for you to kind of put together and construct your singles game in a way that you feel like? you can really make your presence known on the WTA tour, which I wholeheartedly and non-biasedly think that you have all the tools to be able to do so and a familiarity and a, and a comfortability at the net, which is not something that you necessarily all too commonly see on both sides of the tour. And then the second part of the question, a little bit more fun is, so are you team David, team Alexis, team Johnny, or team Moira?
1: <laughs> Oh, my God! Uh, okay, let's leave a fun question for after. Um, so I think to get my singles game to a point where I can compete with better players consistently, I will have to improve upon my physicality um it like i have I have a strong body, but I would need to tailor it to singles a little bit more. I do do a lot of drills, even in my preseason. I was doing a lot of singles drills, we were doing singles points. Um, And I was keeping up pretty well and sometimes even exceeding my expectations. So I think I have the potential there to, to improve upon me being dynamic around a singles court and getting in really good position and just getting out of the habit of like, okay, I'm covering this part of the court. And Feeling like I can run across the court and be in good balance and stay stable and hit a really good quality shot and not feel like I need to revert to something that's defensive because I feel like I'm really out of position. So that I think is number one. And then number two, I think I would need to have my forehand as more of a weapon and not be afraid to use it and start looking for it. Instead of just relying on like the consistency of my backhand or like, like enjoying hitting my backhand line. And then the rest of my game can sort of hopefully fall into place with serving well and coming forward, you know, hitting good approach shots, maybe some drop shots, drop shots, like my favorite shot. Um, But I think the, the two main things will be the forehand and the movement and physicality around the court. And which team am I? Oh, (laughs) I...
2: It can be outside the four. It can be Roland. It can be Stevie.
1: (laughs) Um, I think, I just think I'm team Moira.
0: We have three team Moiras though. We're all team Moira now. I love it. Yeah.
1: Really? I just feel that Dan, team David, I feel like that's him. You know, like that's kind of who he is. Like a lot of his personality comes out, it seems but Moira, like she transforms and she enunciates and the vocabulary, I mean, how do you even come up with that? So I think I'm team Moira at heart, but I'm team Shit's Creek and everyone anyways, like even yeah. team Alexa. like so Alexis um, and Francis, I think she's married to a musician who's actually from really close to Ottawa, where I'm from so it's like it's it's just really cool yeah <laughs> i love Shits creek
0: <laughs> oh it's the greatest show from day one i was hooked i love that show oh man what a fun hour and a half guys this was so fun quarantining with you we had a COVID test a little tennis talk some Shits creek this was really really fun All right. I want to thank my guests for joining us today. We learned so much. You can find Jeremy on Instagram and Twitter at Jeremy Ross Sonken. Thank you, my friend. Really great seeing you after all these years. Really excited for you. Really proud of you. You can find a link to Jeremy's great Outsports article on his Instagram. Make sure to check that one out. It's a great one. Our guest today can be found on both Twitter and Instagram at Gabby Dabrowski. Make sure to follow her and keep up with her journey towards Grand Slam number three. I hope you have a great tournament. I can't wait for you to get out of that hotel and just go crazy on Melbourne and just enjoy the moment. You're part of the Fantastic family. I'll definitely be cheering you on. I know we all will. And while you're on Instagram, shoot me a DM and let me know who you're a big fan of and who you'd like to hear on an upcoming show. Also, don't forget to follow us at Fantastic Tennis Pod or on Twitter at Tennis Pod. I really appreciate the support. My name is John Garica and thank you all for listening. This has been fantastic.